But if you want to make something your own, try an avenue that nobody has tried, like being the physical embodiment of a pissed off iceberg (laughs) who wants to know why the ocean wasn't canceled. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey. I am the founder of LaineyGossip.com and a television reporter in Canada. And I would like to confess something about myself, and that is, there is nothing new about me. (laughs) There is nothing new that I can tell you about me anymore after over a year of this. I am not evolving. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television writer and producer, and I can confess that... I don't need the podcast tagline before you introduce the podcast. I say this to us. I say this to podcasts I listen to. It's okay just to do what you do. You heard it here first. On this episode, Amanda Gorman covers Vogue. After many instances of photos and arguably pieces that may not have been worthy of Vogue, this one may finally have hit it. We'll discuss all the things Amanda reveals. And then, oh, yeah, it's time to talk about Saturday Night Live again. The biggest star of SNL is deservedly getting all kinds of acclaim. But what happens to the people who aren't? And what's an unusual way of dealing with it? This is Show Your Work. Um, because all the press is getting into like, what will we do when we're all vaccinated? Like, what will it be like to come out of the house? Which, first of all, we should clarify. Um, like, you always love to make fun of me for FOMO. But tell me about the case of FOMO that we have collectively as a nation. Uh, the Canadian FOMO since like our proximity to the U S which is slowly reopening and they're able to have like, I don't know, thousands of people at a baseball game. It is, I'm, I'm actually worried it's going to turn into something. Well, I mean, it already has turned into something violent. Uh, just last night in a major city in Canada, there were protests. So yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, we're brewing the war of 1812 in reverse for sure. Um, but as we've been looking at all the things that say like, what will we do when it reopens? What will we this? Uh, I actually saw something today that made me go, what, what are we going to leave behind? And what I saw was a review of, uh, one of the docs that came out recently. Uh, and I'm not going to say which one, but I saw somebody saying you should be weary of this doc. And what they meant was wary. Yes. And I, think I've lost the fight. I think that like print media has lost the fight uh-huh. and I'm, I'm done. I'm done fighting about weary, wary, and leery, even though those are three distinct words with three distinct meetings. Yes. I'm done. I'm leaving it behind. I am letting it go. Uh, what do you got? What do you, what are you the, not going to worry about anymore? Well, I, 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 actually have still been putting up the fight, but I, I'm wondering if I should be inspired by you and give up the fight. My weary, wary, leery, like my equivalent is global mm. pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Like I, everybody, not me, but everybody now says it. The most, like the most esteemed news anchors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Global pandemic. And it's because everybody has said it so much that it, it's become just the thing that you pick up, right? And it, it, you don't even think before you say it, number one. Number two, it started because they, uh, 
listen, we tend to do this. People who work in TV and, and speak for a living, we, we tend to want to make things sound more like heavy with more gravitas than already. Like pandemic was just too plain. Pandemic was a basic bitch, apparently. And we had to stick the word global. So it's now global, global pandemic. Right. But also like if you are the one outlet who's just saying without saying global pandemic, it sounds like you are missing a threat. That's why it became so widespread. Right. I would like to keep fighting this, but I it is futile. Global pandemic will like like but just everybody out there, if you're just if you're a global pandemicer, just just drop the global pandemic is a pandemic. I mean, see, even that shows me that you still have fight left in you because I didn't even take this opportunity to mansplain weary, weary, and leery. Yes. Uh, but I can't. Like, hit me up. I can do that for you. Um. Yeah. I, I, I really like this. I, I, yes. I think I've, you know, you fired up some juices in me. I think this is going to be a good podcast. And it, all that it took was <laughs> for me, to, for you to hit that button. Global pandemic is my trigger. I, I fully get it. I fully understand. I don't have a lot more things that I know I'm leaving behind. Like, I'm not ready to make a ruling on, like, uh, denim and hard pants or <laughs> whatever. Like, you know, it's going to be a long life. Knock wood. Like, I never say never. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think that's one of them. And I'm waiting for some other, like, inspiration to come and hit. Like, oh, and I'm giving up this other rando thing, um, maybe basic cable. I don't know, (laughs) but like nothing else amazing has come to mind, but there you are. You know who would never mix up Weary, Weary and Leary? Who? Amanda Garman. Oh, (laughs) I see. So we're picking up segues here. You are absolutely right. She wouldn't ever. She would appreciate the distinction. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, especially when we're talking about Amanda Gorman, like, I don't know if anybody in her generation has, can say the same. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And this is, of course, what we saved from last week. Um, Vogue, the new issue, Amanda Gorman is on the cover, profile written by the amazing Doreen St. Felix. Um, I love this piece. There's so much work here. There's so much good to take away. There's so much good to like unpack and analyze too. This, you know, the rise of a star, an emerging new voice, someone who just exploded onto the scene with words, with an original written piece that she performed on Inauguration Day. Right. Although, of course, and this piece makes a real point of it, um, she didn't come out of nowhere mm-hmm. had she not already had the resume she had yes. that we all did not know about. Right. I'm not going to pretend I knew about Amanda Gorman before Inauguration Day. Um, would not be here. But before we get to the piece, which I agree with you is excellent, and I'm so glad it was Doreen St. Felix, uh, I wanted to talk about the, the fact that she's on the cover mm. because, of course, The conversation over the past uh, several months and years has been about the way that Black women in particular are photographed Mm -hmm. on the cover, right? Simone Biles comes to mind. Yeah. That was a recent cover. Yeah, that was last summer. mm -hmm. And um, also relatively recently, like I think Serena Williams was uh, one of the people for whom the the photography did not necessarily do her justice. Uh, Kamala Harris, although I suspect that I think the criticism there was more about styling. Yeah. So here we have uh, Amanda Gorman, who is, among other things, like a style icon. What did you think of these shots? I love them. I really, really really like them. Yeah, I really do too. Uh, They've done that thing where there's more than one cover. Yeah. uh, And uh, they're both beautiful, but I really like uh, the one where she's in like a a whitish gray lace uh, Mm -hmm. dress, just kind of 
smirking a little bit at the camera. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I will hear it if somebody has a different opinion, but I find like you can see sort of the, the fulsomeness of her expression, of her uh, kind of stance. Uh, it just, it's quite beautiful. Yes. Uh, and so I found it to be a notable improvement, let's say. I agree. Um, and also, you know, photographed by Annie Leibovitz, the same photographer mm-hmm. who people were criticizing or at least didn't like the Simone Biles photos. I also like that in a lot of the, like, you know, there's several outfits, there are several images. A couple of them are of Amanda in motion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you can see her her body. Um, and, and we've we've seen her in motion. I mean, like, one of the things that distinguished her um, at the inauguration is that she spoke with her whole body. Yeah, absolutely. She is, uh, she bakes movement into her performances Mm -hmm. and she talks about why in the piece, actually, beyond just that that's who she is. Uh, But you're right. Like, it's not just beautiful photos, but it's a really good job of photographing kind of the, the spirit or the image of who we think Amanda Gorman is or know her to be yeah. publicly, yeah. right? Yes. At no point did I look at these photos and say, this is Amanda Gorman dressed up by somebody else. This is Amanda Gorman. You know, uh, she showed up, they treated her like she was a doll. They slapped her on some clothes and she is playing dress up. This is 100% Amanda Gorman um, stepping it, it like Amanda Gorman being Amanda Gorman in vogue from what Absolutely. we know of who Amanda Gorman is. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that's important. It's notable, particularly because she's such a young woman, Mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of women of her age who for, you know, to be profiled in Vogue would kind of lose themselves, to use a real cliche, who would have the clothes wearing them. But this is definitely not that. No, no, definitely not that. So um, the visual is there. Yes. And then there's the substance, the content of the piece, which is for Vogue. So, you know, there are clothing details here. I mean, (laughs) and you kind of have to be, and this is what happens in a Vogue piece that has substance, but there is fashion embedded into it as in how fashion informs or helps shape the narrative that the subject is trying to convey. Um, so Amanda Gorman, 100%, we will, we find out in this piece, loves fashion. She loves playing with fashion. She uses fashion to, uh, shape her, 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 her image to, to, you know, help her reach her, or at least help her paint the picture. Um, but there's so much more. I mean, I think this is probably the definitive piece on her so far. Yeah, I agree. And yet there were themes running through this Mm -hmm. piece that, I kind of already knew before I knew them and I, it's not that I was surprised to see them there, but real like bell rings. If you know anything about Amanda Gorman, um, there are kind of themes that come ringing through and they were here out in force. Uh, so it's doing both things, right? It's introducing you, but it's also reminding you, oh, you already know this person. So where do we start? Well, let's start with our now tried and true question. What was the the biggest thing you took away from this piece or what was the overwhelming takeaway for you? The overwhelming takeaway is going to be, will we collectively allow her to grow and will she allow herself to grow? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I... I want to kind of yes and that because that's what I was referring to about the themes that are overarching through this piece, uh, that there's a lot in here that tells us that, how do I put this? That this is an authentic portrait of Amanda Gorman, but that who Amanda Gorman is, is a real curated, uh, personality. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't think she's holding back either from uh, the public in general or from Dorian St. Felix, but there's a lot of what she talks about in terms of how she grew up. Mm -hmm. That means that there was a real uh, 
engineering mm-hmm. of sorts that got her to this place. Yes. And I think it's, there's no hiding that. I mean, her, her mother, single mother had twins. That would be Amanda and her, her sister, Gabrielle, Gabby, mm-hmm. I think. Um, right. And her mother's an academic. It was always intended that, um, it was always intended that literature be part of their lives, that literature be part of Amanda's life. They have been planning on, they've been planning on this just in the same way, not in the same way, but like when people talk about the mythology of Tiger Woods, for example, um, and his father shaping his career, you know, turning him into a golf prodigy, um, you know, Amanda Gorman's mother is not as in the spotlight and is not a character the way that Earl Woods was and became in the story of Tiger. I mean, we we really don't hear from her, which is key and very good. Very good. Yeah. Um, but yes, as as you as you mentioned, there's an engineering. Like they built this together. There was was there were goals set from a long time ago. Yeah, like, for example, um, the thing that was, you know, that jumped out the most is that Amanda Gorman, who I haven't done the math, but who was born circa, like, in the late, late 90s, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Watched the Munsters and the Honeymooners growing up on television, full stop. Uh, And she had to kind of petition her mother to let her watch uh, Kim Possible yeah. was like the the risque thing that she watched. So she was consuming things. There's also a reference to Anne of Green Gables mm-hmm. uh, in this piece. And, you know, shout out to the Canadiana. Um, there was a real uh, point of you are not going to be like the others. We are engineering you to not be like the others. Right. And... This wasn't obviously the end goal. I mean, she has very famously said from, we found out basically like five minutes after she wrapped her inauguration poem that she wants to be president, right? So everything from when she was 15, when she was 16, teenagers, whatever, there was no, like, I knew better, uh, I'm paraphrasing Amanda, I knew not to post photos like of this. I knew not to, you know, not to let people see me like this because I can't allow anything. She's basically saying there's no one squeakier cleaner than me. I think there's a sentence in there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to quote it back to you. Uh, it says here uh, that, yes, that she wants to be president, that she has the unofficial endorsements of Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. and Michelle Obama, which of course she does. Yeah. Uh, and then here's a quote. That's why you won't find any, quote, negativity on her social media, to quote Wix. Wix is her mother. Mm -hmm. Any image of her, quote, at a party or, quote, in a bathing suit that might be construed by future pundits as less than savory. Black women will know this form of adaptation. It's an accommodation to a scrutinizing eye, and it's now natural for Gorman. She finds satisfaction in being able to set boundaries. That's right. I really, I mean, I really like the Doreen St. Felix editorializing here and saying black women are familiar with this. I mean, and it's something we've talked about before, right? Black women are more harshly judged. They're held to a different standard. It's almost like they can't win. Even like even in the Vogue cover example, the black women who cover Vogue have to be, and we've said this before on the show, Oprah, Michelle Obama, Beyonce, Rihanna, Amanda Gorman, Serena Williams. Like, you can't be the black woman equivalent of whatever, Sienna Miller, right? No, it, it is, you have to be absolutely extraordinary at the absolute top of your gain to even, yes, unimpeachable in this company. Yeah, unimpeachable. Which? It's not fair. No, it's not fair. And it's, I'm going to, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. I like, here's what I struggle with. You know, it is, it's not fair to have somebody who is so young and so incredibly talented and who has very, very obviously miles and miles to go professionally and personally, I don't mean like miles to go before they get anywhere. I mean, this is just the beginning. Yes. Right. 
and to say, this person will never put a foot wrong, especially because our kind of cultural definitions of wrong are evolving all the time. That's right. I, I, I get it. I understand it. I endorse Amanda Gorman having a platform this large and this sort of lofty already. And yet I feel the way I do, there's a reference to Tavi Gevinson um, in this piece. And I, and yet I want the opportunity for Amanda Gorman to like, to live life, to be, you know, messy, to learn things, to do stuff. Um, not just because like, oh, everybody's got to have a little scandal, but because that's how you learn and get material and get juice for what goes forward. Yeah, I, I, that, but I, I also think like, yes and no, because, you know, I'm looking towards the examples of Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, who also are scandal free, right? I mean, uh, Barack Obama's trajectory to the White House was everything excellent, Harvard, Harvard Law, um, the basically the smartest person ever. Um, same with M- Michelle Obama, you know, the, the education she had, you know, working in law. And yet they'll find a way to create a skeleton or create a scandal. Well, you know, but the difference, I guess, is that the Barack's and Michelle's of the world didn't have that scrutiny until much, much later. Yeah. Right? Like, he talks about uh, he smoked a lot of weed in undergrad, certainly. Right? Yeah. Um, And uh, Michelle Obama talked about, like, yeah, here's where I would go and, like, make out with dudes or whatever. At the time, they were anonymous, Mm -hmm. uh, which helps a lot. And to state the patently obvious, not living in a time of social media. Yes. Now, I guess the other side of this is Amanda Gorman recently graduated from Harvard. Um, and if you're going to go to school anywhere and have people under who understand that, you know, what happens inside these walls of a party or a dorm or whatever cannot go outside, cannot <laughs> be on social media, it might be her classmates at Harvard, right? Like they might be those who would understand the most. Yeah, but yeah, if, but you I, never know. Again, this generation. But to your point, to a, to your original point about sustainability and whether or not this level of perfection, uh, meeting expectation that she holds herself to and that collectively we may be contributing to, um, is it sustainable? I mean, certainly if anybody can do it, it's Amanda Gorman. Like, let's not doubt Amanda Gorman. It's just, as you said, you know, what comes out of growth and figuring things out and needing to do things over again is an interesting story, a more nuanced story. Um, And, oh my God, there's already enough pressure on her. And what I, I guess what I appreciate is that what we're saying, it's not that she doesn't know. She alludes to this herself. You know, she talks about, she talks about struggling with writing and having to like, what can she write at this point in her mind? And we're all, we're writers. You, you know it. We all, she has to meet the last thing she wrote. Well, the fucking last thing she wrote was like, you know, right. That sentence when she said that, right. You know, which sentence I mean, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, You know, they're talking about can she or can she not share from the two upcoming books, which are being released in September. And she's sort of like, eh, I don't know. Um, And she's anxious about it and then says, yeah, like you, you have to. How do you meet the last last thing thing you've done? Like, oh, I, when I read that, I, I, this is why I like this piece because I, I don't think it's, of course, it's fist pumpy and it's amazing. She's amazing. But there's a lot, like, I felt anxious for her. And I felt, mm-hmm. I, 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 uh, I, and it, 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 I, it took away my breath in a bad way. 
Yeah, because, I mean, there's that pressure. The only thing that I can say is that unlike sometimes we read a piece and we have a revelation about somebody, somebody has opened up to a writer uh, in a way that we haven't heard before. Um, I think if you are Amanda Gorman, she knew from the moment she got that call Mm -hmm. uh, to speak at the inauguration, she knew that if it went well, she would have to face down this demon of topping the last thing that you wrote, right? Um, So at least to your point, uh, she's she's not going into this unaware. And she has, and the the piece takes care to point out, she has this like deep, deep bench of mentors Mm -hmm. who will do their best to help her find places to like, you know, experiment in private or to like fail in ways we never hear about or whatever. And yet I think too that, see, I'm back and forth on all my takeaways here because one of my favorite things that God, she says so many great things. One of my favorite things that she says, my other favorite thing that she says in this piece is essentially I'm paraphrasing again, but she says, i Right after that day, she kind of shared a few snippets from her journal and she told herself in her journal that it's okay to seek greatness, which I think is really powerful um, to, number one, to know, to not run from the greatness of the moment that you created. You know, there is, Mm -hmm. there is so... We talked about it before in various ways, imposter syndrome or whatever, but there is a temptation sometimes to have done a really, no, to have killed it. I mean, to have done the best job ever and to just be like, yeah, that was good, you know, and not want to sit in it and and actually like soak in it and be like, fuck yes, I, I was great and it's okay for me to want to be unreal. Well, it's so interesting because um, in sports, which is not always my arena, but in sports, I'm thinking about uh, the comparisons of Serena, of Simone Biles. What you have is a reigning champion, right? Yes. You are the champion until somebody unseats you. And so you walk around in like, in the case of after the Olympics, you literally have like basically a gold medal tour, right? Yep where you walk around and your whole job is to sit in it and yeah. sit in the the glory of it. Yeah. Uh, and there's no such thing for like poets. cultural achievements. <laughs> yeah. Poets, inaugurations, um, moments, yeah. essentially. You know, I, I mean, I guess sort of Oscar winners, whatever, but like it's once it's gone, it's gone, you know. Um, and she actually responds to that in another quote from the piece in a way that I really like, because to your point, She's not being disingenuous. She's not pretending it's not there. Um, And she says, uh, I don't want it to be something that becomes a cage, she says, where to become a successful black girl, you have to be Amanda Gorman and go to Harvard. I want someone to eventually disrupt the model I have established. Mm -hmm. Like that's some wisdom right there. Yes. It's it's just, there's so much wisdom. And... And it's just, uh, uh, it's breathtaking. Um, but I, I just, I, I, I guess maybe that's why we're not her or there's so few hers. That's why she is Amanda Gorman is that uh, sometimes I want her to, I guess I want her to take a break from waking up one day and not, and not waking up wise. But, you know, there are nods and notes in here that make me think that somebody has talked about that with her or that she already has that. Um, Maybe it's just the internalization of Anne of Green Gables Mm. um, because, like, Lord knows there were mistakes and and pratfalls and whatnot. Um, Not for nothing, I really appreciated her talking about Lin-Manuel Miranda because I think what... The comparison is obviously both incredibly gifted with words and whatever, but I think Lin-Manuel Miranda is a good model in the sense of, you know, he 
sits in the triumph that is Hamilton. He doesn't shy away from it. He doesn't try to pretend it is nothing else. But then he does other things and he's overt about wanting to do other things and pursue other things um, that are A, not about history, B, not about, you know, being founding fathers of whatever, not about taking over Broadway. Like, I think when you have kind of come out the gate and landed at such a high point, then you go left or right, right? Yeah. Like the the thing is, well, let me see what else I can do rather than just trying to be an echo of myself over and over again. Um, and there's a, there's a, um, in the Vogue piece, they nod to uh, Amanda's having done uh, a, a speech, a piece at the Moth. Um, which is, you know, a, a yeah. storytelling event slash podcast. And I don't know if you watched it, uh, but it is, it's very casual. It's, it's a good performance as they all are, but it is funnier by half than anything we've seen her do in recent history. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of laughs that she knows she's getting. She's kind of subtly making fun of herself. She's playing kind of herself at the age when she's telling the story, but also at the age when she was, wait for it, auditioning for The Lion King. Yeah. Um, and she's kind of making fun of herself and and nodding to her speech impediment that we've heard that she worked mm-hmm. around. Uh, and she's very physical and flipping upside down. And it just was such a relief to go, oh, she also has this. Yes. She also has a much more, uh, not quite self-deprecating, but, you know, tongue-in-cheek view of herself that she can pull out to just as amazing acclaim. Yep. And like, you know, it's, she wasn't Amanda Gorman at the time that she told this story. And still at the end, you can hear people go, whoa, whoa. Yeah. um, At the end of what is basically a comedic piece. So I have hope in that way. That's my yes and about the whole thing. Well, and I think that that is, I mean, I think that that is, the gift too of Doreen St. Felix. I do think that in writing a profile like this, it's meant to challenge readers to consider like, who is this person, especially in our time of creating heroes and icons and what, what we take from them. Um, and, and, you know, the, le- the, how, how we participate in this whole process as well, culturally. Um, I do think that Doreen St. Felix was like a little bit asking us to ask these questions or at least ponder, um, what happens, you know, when you have a superstar who's uh, amazingly come out, not through music or acting, but poetry. And that's another element to this, right? Like, you know, she is out here, you know, fulfilling her her and her family's engineered dreams, you know, going for the presidency, um, you know, imagining and rewriting what it means to be a black woman um, in, in this time, in this space. And then <laughs> she's she has like injected more life into this art form than we've seen in a long time, at least on a mainstream level. Well, I think that's kind of why we're having this conversation, right? Is that if she were a breakout young singer or actress or even a breakout young political star, um, you know, like uh, obviously uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the name that comes to mind, but I'm even thinking of of some of the the Parkland kids and so forth, I don't think we would be questioning where she would go next. I think part of the reason that, you know, everybody's looking at Amanda Gorman and her future as such a question mark is like, isn't what she did kind of the, the eventual like brass ring for any poet laureate? Like what else, you know, what else does a poet laureate do? What is the the job function? Um, and so I think the question is, yeah, does she expand into many other places where she quite obviously could because she's talented mm-hmm. and has skills? Or does she expand and change our idea of what it is to be a professional full-time poet? And also, I mean, I, you know, we talk often about peer groups mm-hmm. and community. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, there are young Black female poets out there, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. But are there, first of all, are they, have they reached the heights of Amanda Gorman? I think we can honestly say no, right? Like, Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are some great ones. I, you know, I was recently introduced to Morgan Parker and I am starting to read a little bit of Morgan Parker and Morgan Parker's um, as not as young as Amanda. Mar- Morgan Parker is a little bit older and certainly has had acclaim, a lot of acclaim. Um, but we're talking about like cover of Vogue here. We're talking about, you know, she's throwing around, she, she's, you know, she's talking about every brand, everybody in the world wanting a piece of her. Um, so Amanda Gorman right now is peerless in terms of, well, poetry. And you know what? Maybe we were primed for it since you mentioned it. Um, like, it's, I think people can name more poets than they could. Ruby Carr mm-hmm. um, is a hugely famous and successful poet, albeit not somebody who is uh, as, you know, doing performances and spoken words so much, right? right? Johnny Sun, who actually collaborated with Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? So it is actually an art form that's kind of coming into its own again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it certainly hasn't been a field that we have historically thought, oh, there's enough room for many poets to be super famous and known. No. Then again, what do we know? And now here's Amanda Gorman, yeah, uh, taking up the mantle of it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think about, I think about that. And she makes it sound fun. Like, she's very proud of it. Like, that is, again, one of her other objectives. Like, one of the other um, goals that she's carrying around with her. It's just, man, it's a lot. And yet, and yet it's, God, it's, it's spectacular. I guess what we can say is this. Is, yeah, she's reached these incredible heights. She has, as they point out, you know, a bajillion endorsements, most of which she turned down, but has at her uh, disposal if she wants. Um, She has IMG representation, and she wanted to be very clear, she's not a model. She's reached such heights that if at 25 or 28 or in six months, if she decides I'm done, or I'm pivoting, uh, I don't think anybody would say, well, she didn't reach her potential, right? Like if it's time to explore a new avenue, uh, I think she will be able to say like, I, I ran this through with, uh, with everything I had and I'm happy to leave it where it is. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, so it's been about five episodes since we've talked about Saturday Night Live, right? It's time. (laughs) Uh, Three of which I don't think the show was on air. So there's that. Yeah. So specifically this week on Saturday Night Live was hosted by Carrie Mulligan. Not talking about Carrie Mulligan. We're talking about two of the regulars. um, And uh, what you brought to my attention, Duanna, which one of the cast members is doing off camera. Um, mm-hmm. and what one of the members is doing on camera and, and like, you know, the intricate dance you have to do to get yourself even into these positions. Anyway, go ahead, set it up. Well, uh, I think it's worth contradicting you right off the bat, um, because you said we're talking about two of the regulars and so funny story. So, uh, we want to talk about Bowen Yang who made, uh, a, probably a big splash, arguably his biggest moment of the season so far and in a, and there have been many, but, uh, Bowen Yang is still only a quote unquote featured player on Saturday oh, Night man. Live. You're right. Uh, as opposed to a full 
cast member. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the full cast members is Chris Redd. And that's who we're going to be talking about. Um, so first of all, to have somebody, very, very few people are hired and become full cast members right away. It's tradition that they spend, I think, at least two seasons as a featured player before being made, if they kind of prove themselves, uh, a full cast member the following year. Yeah. And Bowen's so in his first, second, right? That's right. Yeah. Yes. So if we were going to do like an audit on Bowen Yang, how you doing? Um, like it, it, I think he's been a huge asset all season. I think that he has had so many incredible moments. We're Canadian, so I have to shout out Bonjour High. Um, <laughs> I retroactively went back and watched his Fran Lebowitz because I hadn't, yes. at the time that it aired, I hadn't watched Pretend It's a City. Uh, I have since watched it through <laughs> twice and some episodes three times. It's like therapy, but he was great. Um, he uh, had, you know, I, I think he appeared as Bo and Yang a few weeks ago when he told people, yeah, do more mm -hmm. with regard to anti-Asian violence. Like I think it was, you know, here to comment is Bo and Yang. And then last week, uh, you know, a few days ago now, he appeared uh, <laughs> as it's the one that what kills me is that for Weekend Update in particular, you have to have some sort of newsworthy. Yeah. Peg. So, right. So he appeared as the iceberg <laughs> who sunk the Titanic. <laughs> Just imagine what it takes, even in your brain, to be like, okay, what's coming up in the news? Oh, it's the 109th anniversary <laughs> of the Titanic sinking? Okay, here's how I'm going to spin this. It was so good. So high concept, but also so fucking, like, of... I don't know, like so accessible now, like it was, um, an indictment or like a loving mockery of celebrity culture, of social media culture, of cancel culture. It was, it was, it was so good. Yeah. If you haven't seen it and look, I get, if you don't care to, it's like if the iceberg from Titanic played as though it was one of the more controversial uh, Real Housewives. Yes. Right? Like somebody who is kind of known, but is like, actually, I'm here to talk about my skincare line. <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. And I will just say, I'm nobody's like comedy coach, but when you are creating anything, when you're a young person, we were talking about Amanda Gorman, and somebody says, you have to make it your own. This is what they're talking about. You know, there are going to be lots of impressions of political figures and like pop stars and whatever. But if you want to make something your own, try an avenue that nobody has tried, like being the physical embodiment of a pissed off iceberg <laughs> who wants to know why the ocean wasn't canceled. <laughs> but I also think that like, you know, I think Bowen is great in sketches for sure, but he really shines on update. Like all the things that you've mentioned, Fran, um, do mm -hmm. more <laughs> iceberg, um, are update segments. And I believe his first, his update debut was like a smash hit right out of the gate. It was the Chinese trade minister. Yes, do you remember yes. Chen? It was Chen, yeah. right. Chen Bao, is it? Mm -hmm. I, I, I believe so, but uh, anyway, it was, yeah, me, yes. it was, I'm pretty sure that was his, his update debut and it was, it, people sat up and were like, Bowen Yang is going to be great on SNL because of this, this update performance, um, as that Chinese trade minister, it was deadly. Yeah, it was beautiful. And just, and one of those things, not that we need to know this, but one of those things that, you know, the show might not have been able to do in previous years mm -hmm. because they didn't have somebody who could play the Chinese trade minister. Um, so I, you know, I'm deeply, deeply here for all of it. Um, and I think, you know, we've we've proven that Bo and Yang is incredibly capable. Uh, again, I I'm just have to come back again to 
uh, Bonjour High, which <laughs> I suspect is a product not just of Bon Yang, but of Celeste Yim, who is yes. uh, a Toronto writer who's on the staff of SNL. Because um, he lived in Montreal for a few, few years. It just, just the weirdness of Quebec culture. That was in the Issa Rae episode, if you're going back and looking, is, is beautiful. But, well, and so, uh, you know, awesome. Good job, Bo yeah. and Yang. No question, I don't think, that he will be promoted to being uh, a full cast member. Yeah. Yes? Full stop. Yeah. I walked it back, though. I walked back from saying, but. Because this is what is so interesting about, uh, about SNL and about so many shows of this nature there implies a comparison, right? Because mm-hmm. now we're going to talk about the other person that we're talking about. And there's no reason to say but. There's nothing in Bowen Yang's success that is in and of itself taking away from anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if anything, what we can say is Bowen Yang is getting an appropriate number, a deserved number of headlines. Yes. Yes? Yep. Um, there is a cast member who isn't, um, which is, uh, which is sort of the other place that we, that we want to go here. Um, so Chris Red has been on SNL since 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, and arguably has not had a whole bunch of huge breakout moments. Would you say that's true? Yeah. I mean, I... Because we're talking about it, I'll own up to the fact that when I watch Chris Red, in the moment, I'm like, that's really good. But then mm-hmm. he doesn't go viral, I don't feel. You know, he's not right. a conversation. He's not a, a household name, yeah. I guess, right? In that way. And, you know, there is an argument to be had that that's not just you overlooking him. And I'm saying you because you said, yeah. oh, I'll, I'll call it out. Um, that it's actually happening partly because he's being overlooked overall. So something really interesting that I saw this weekend is that Chris Red has started calling out media outlets for ignoring him when they write up the clips uh, right. about SNL. Yes. So, for example... Um, A couple of weeks ago, Rolling Stone wrote, uh, Pete Davidson and Jack Harlow deliver Eminem-inspired rap explaining NFTs, which uh, just earlier that week, you and Yasek had explained (laughs) NFTs to me. This was really timely. And Chris Red quote tweeted it with, I was also there. Uh, And uh, the other night, it was Deadline Hollywood. Timothy Chalamet toots his flute with Kid Cudi and Pete Davidson for musical number, to which he quoted, hell yeah, I was also there. <laughs> and I mean, first of all, I get it. Like, it must be so frustrating, mm-hmm. uh, especially because I think Chris Red is writing a lot of these Me or too. contributing to the writing yeah. of a lot of these uh, video pieces. Um, what should somebody who's in this position do? And to to add to that, especially with Weird Little Flute, like his lines were arguably the funniest ones. Yes. Right? (laughs) Yes, I agree with you. Um, Because I love that sketch. To me, it was an instant classic. Um, It was was beautiful because I really like when they do those, uh, when you have to wait for the punchline and you know it's going to drop and you don't know what it is. Uh, it, it, it better be yes. real great. And yes, it was real, real great. Um, so yeah, what do you do if you're Chris Red and probably it, these are your ideas, uh, no one is crediting you and they're crediting other people or other people are getting the shine for it. What do you do? If you're Chris Red, you hop on social media and you're like, um, I was there too. Um, and, but then what do you do internally? Yeah. I mean, look, he's doing it with a lot of good humor, uh, which is, uh, which is amazing. Um, you know, he's, he's tongue in cheek. He's a comedian. Absolutely. 
Um, I just have to say that I almost ruined a take because there was uh, a point where uh, it's he's tweeting again about the other night and he uh, the tweet has actually been deleted, which I suspect means that Chris Red's commentary uh, reached its target. Uh, but uh, he writes, I could probably get erased from my own dick pic if I drop one. <laughs> like, He's, he's calling out what's happening, yeah. but he's making it a bit of a brand, right? No, I agree. And and I think that that's, that's what's really, this is what's really clever about it. Like, next, is this going to be a segment on update? I I would love that. I think that would be amazing because, yeah, once you've established that it's happening, mm-hmm. right, You your options are kind of to... A, hustle harder behind the scenes right. so that your stuff gets on the air. And like, I'm sure that Chris Red is doing that, but this is his fifth season on the show. So obviously he's providing value or he wouldn't be there, right? Correct. Like they cut people all the time. It's, you know, if you're not, if it's not happening, it's not happening. He clearly either is writing sketches for other people or that are being cut and dressed for time or whatever, whatever. He has value. So I'm not sure it's that he should or needs to turn anything up behind the scenes, mm-hmm. right? If it's about the press, you can pout and be like, mm, they don't talk to me. Or I guess you could get your publicist to start pitching you uh, to outlets or things. Or you could just start going, I was also there. <laughs> Uh, But at the same time, you mentioned that he gave us a character that we hadn't seen. I I think so. Am I crazy? On Weekend Update last week, uh, Chris Red did Obama. Mm -hmm. And I thought did a really excellent Obama. It was about the the podcast with Obama and Bruce Bruce Springsteen Springsteen that... I don't know anybody who's listened to it and everybody has heard the promos, yeah. I think. So uh, that, you know, it was accurate from from that front. But yeah, I don't know anybody who's heard it. I thought he was excellent as Obama. Really yes? good. Really good. Um, I, I don't think that the, I guess this goes back to I was there too. I'm not sure that the, like, the gut punch funny in that, like, segment was him as Obama, it was Beck as Springsteen. Like that was the fool. I I guess so, but like it was because Chris Red was doing so much yeah. in the best way possible because he had all the gestures and all the voices. I can't do it. Yeah. The Obama staccato, voice, but the, the 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 pacing yeah, of the, all the Obama ver- talking. Yeah. All the verbal ticks. Yeah. Uh that frankly, Springsteen, Beck, did very little. But there it was, you know, like it was the balance, uh, again, which speaks to good writing, which speaks to being a good give and take comedy partner. Um, but why did we never, why did we not see this character before, this impression before? And why not more prominent? I mean, like, you know, why not Chris Red as Obama in a cold open? I mean, listen, I feel like you, for sure, you and I both watch it pretty religiously every week that it's on. You probably have stored mo- most of it in your like megabytes and your RAM than I do. But if you can't recall it, then I can't imagine that it's something that happens quite very often if it's ever happened at all. Now, of course, arguably there's something to be said, but part of this is timing, right? Okay, so who knew Chris Red had a a, a great Obama in his back pocket, mm. but the greatest Saturday Night Live time suck of the last four years yes. was the opposite of Obama, right? Mm-hmm. And they were getting headline after headline for Alec Baldwin's here and here's, you know, Larry David playing Bernie and so forth. It was the opposite of Obama. It was bad timing. Uh, or maybe he didn't have an Obama, you know, impression that was rock solid when he first arrived on the scene. But it's also a bigger stretch to go, why are we using this character at a time when everything that's happening in the world, topically, as SNL is supposed to be, see again, Bo and Yang with his (laughs) 109-year-old character, um, you know, everything that was happening is the opposite of Obama, right? Right. So I guess that's the argument 
or why not. Um, but I just, I think what it is, is there are tons of these people. And you know me, I love people who were for a long time, like workaday performers mm-hmm. and then kind of wind up with a profile. Yeah. Um, and Chris Red, of course, is the second lead on Keenan, which is uh, Keenan's new show, new sitcom, um, and is like a, a working actor, performer, comedian who is like, I think, undoubtedly anybody would say, yeah, this is a talented, experienced person. But there are more of those people who are talented, work really hard, land everything, who never really get the acclaim that they are due, right? Judy Greer made a whole career Mm. out of being the best friend, um, you know, and that, but like, there are a lot of people who will never be acknowledged for everything they're bringing. Um, And I just really like Chris Red's method of going like, oh, hey, and also, could could you actually just acknowledge that I exist? That would be great. Thank you so much. But but what the the genius of this is an acknowledgement first that oh people don't notice me. Mm-hmm. I am well. That's it. I no. am insignificant. You're right. It has to be a certain level of self-deprecation, ego jumping. What did you say? Self-deprecation. Self-deprecation. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. Of 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 getting over your own ego, right? Of yes. going first you have to establish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people don't know who I am. Yeah. And, and there's then, a fine line between acknowledging that and then kind of be wait, hi, I'm over here. It's a little bit like I want to be noticed, right? Typically we're too cool for that or you think people are too cool for that. They didn't notice me. Well, I'm not going to let them know that I noticed that they didn't notice me. I'm not going to beg for the attention. But he's out there. He's not begging, but it is a form of waving your arm as 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 vigorously as you can to be noticed. But at the right time, yes. right? He has earned that mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Uh because he's great uh and because his contributions to the show are unimpeachable. It's not something you do after the first six episodes. No. Right? Like, I I don't want to hear that kind of commentary from the three new kids, so to speak, until at least season three. Uh, and sometimes, <laughs> like Bo and Yang, yeah. you hit it right out of the gate and it's it's well acknowledged and, and everybody knows who you are. Um, but yeah, I think that when you are where he is in his career, uh, in his, I think, baked into what you're saying about the self-deprecation is also like a security in what he can contribute, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's not, they're not writing about me because I'm not doing anything because I'm not relevant because I'm not whatever. I think he's got to be secure enough in what he's doing to be like, no, no, this is, this is bullshit. I should be, uh, I should be acknowledged here. Yeah. I love it too. I, and I, now I can't wait for, do we have a new episode next week? No, they're breaking, that right? That is a good question. I think they're breaking, yes. The weirdest, most piecemeal schedule, but uh, we'll take what we can get when we can get it. Well, I'm mad at them right now because I don't know why Stephen Yun isn't, hasn't been invited to host. Maybe he'll do the season finale. There you go. Because it's typically in April, Let's, isn't it? Typically? Yeah, I, I think last year they went into May, but last year was weird because they were at home. I, I hope they go into May. Yeah, I'm I'm really into this now. Like, I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. So now I'm going to be watching Chris Red's Twitter to see how often he points out all the times that he's not mentioned. Um, and But to me, it's so smart. And again, to your point, I think a lot of the things like weird little flute is probably the one big takeaway sketch from this weekend. And yeah, I believe it's a lot of him. Absolutely. And I should say, I saw this via a tweet from uh, Joe Berkowitz, who, uh, hi, Joe, I don't follow you, but maybe I will, who's a staff writer at Fast Company. Uh, I probably was just searching SNL, uh, but it's a it's a well-found observation. Let Chris Red lead the way for you. If you are, like him, established, but aren't being noticed, it's okay to call it out. Point it out. Jump the ego. 
call it out and see what happens. Oh, I can't wait. Thank you so much for listening. That's it for us this week. We will be back soon. In the meantime, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave comments and reviews. It means a lot to us. We cannot wait to hear what you think of this and all the other stories that haven't happened yet. Keep coming, keep yelling at us, and we will talk to you next time. Work hard. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.